Well, today we're beginning a brand new series. It's going to be our summer series, and uh, the title is called Flow. And the whole focus is going to be how can we get into the flow and stay in the flow of God's Spirit. There's something that's coming up in a couple of weeks, though, that for some of you, this would be the best decision you could make this entire summer. And uh, we're going to have our baptism class. For some of you, um, you've thought about baptism, but you're like, oh man, I am not there yet. I need to get my act together. I need to get things in order. And then once I do that, then I'll get baptized. And actually, that's absolutely the wrong way to think about baptism. Baptism is not an end point that you have it all together, but it's actually a beginning point. It's a point of saying, as far as I know, I know I can't do my life very well, so I'm going to ask Jesus Christ to be the one to help me with that process. And so uh, in a couple of weeks, on the 26th, I'll be teaching a baptism class, and I would invite you to sign up for it today. That you can go online, thejar.org, you can go on your smartphone and uh, do it and be ready to go, or you can go to the resource table and uh, do that as well. And then on the 16th of August, we'll be at Prairie Creek Reservoir, and it'll be a big celebration. We'll have tons of food, and there'll be swimming and games and all kinds of uh, fun stuff, and we'll celebrate the baptism uh, on that day. So I hope for some of you that that might be something you would do, because I really do believe it would be absolutely uh, the best decision that you could make this summer. Well, before we jump into the flow, uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's have uh, some prayer. Let's pray. Well, loving God, thank you so much for choosing us as your kids and that you love us no matter what. Thank you for how patient you are with us. And help us today, God, to, to know how to jump into the flow of your spirit. And God, for those individuals who are here this morning who have never been baptized, but even as I say it, they're like, ah, yeah, I guess that might be something. I just pray, God, that you would stir in their spirit uh, a desire to want to make that commitment to you, and that in doing so, God, um, that it would be the best decision they could make this summer. Well, Holy Spirit, we uh, ask you to come. People have prayed before anyone got here. There was a song that focused specifically on it. And now we just ask, God, that you would remove anything from our lives that would prevent us from directly hearing from you. So we pray, God, right now that you would teach us in your powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, last week, uh, there were 13 kids from our church that went to a YMCA camp up in North Webster, Indiana, called Camp Crosley. And for part of the reason for us to get some free scholarships for our middle school and high school students, um, I had to kind of pony up and be the chaplain for the week. So I was there, and I had a great time, and these 13 kids did as well. And my two daughters, uh, during the day, went to a day camp. Um, because Jen and I were uh, doing all kinds of different chaplain stuff. And so Jordan and Shiloh, from 9 to 5, they went to uh, this day camp. And in the afternoon, they had an opportunity for everyone to swim. And I didn't swim the first few days because it was cold and it was rainy and it was miserable. 
But Jordan, finally, on the last two days, she twisted my arm enough and she convinced me to go down this, which is called Wet Willie. And Wet Willie is a water slide that is 100 feet long and it's made of a vinyl coated polyester. Now you can kind of see a tower there and it's a lot bigger than what it looks in this picture. But you climb up this tower, and I call it the Tower of Terror. Because by the time I got up to the top of it, uh, Jordan's like, Dad, isn't this awesome? And I'm thinking, oh my word, what have I gotten myself into? So we get to the top of it, and what I notice at the top of the slide, there are two water hoses on each slide so that it's easier for people to go down. But it's not a flow of water, folks. It is like dripping water that's going down the slide. So Jordan and I get up there together, and she's like, Dad, let's do it at the same time. I'm like, yeah, how cool, you know, like tough guy dad here. So she gets down, and before I even kind of get my body, you know, directed, she flies out, and she goes all the way down and flies up in the air, does this big old back smacker, and she's on the ground. Now, the reason I let her go first is because if she died, I at least still had one kid left. You know what I mean? But she survived, and she got up out of the water, and she goes out. And now they're like, okay, it's your turn, sir. And uh, I was the only person that entire week that was in their 40s going down this thing. So I get up there. I fling my body out as far as I could. I'm going down. I get halfway, and guess what happens? I get stuck stuck right in the middle of the slide. I'm only 50 feet down. I got 50 feet more to go. And the high school lifeguard who's responsible for my life, who's at the top of the Tower of Terror, yells down, looks like you got stuck. (laughs) Now, I won't tell you what I was really thinking because I'm a pastor. But I'll clean it up enough just to simply say, I'm like, you idiot, of course I'm stuck. So he yells down again his instructions, well, just scooch down the rest of the way. You know how to scooch? (laughs) So I learned how to scooch, so I'm like scooching 50 feet down this thing. And the whole point of Willie is that you're supposed to fly out of the end. I get to the end. I got all the strength I have in my massive muscles. And uh, I'm barely able to get up off the edge. And then I don't do like this cool slide. I do a flop just straight down. And I go straight into the water. Now this is the problem with Willie. Wet Willie. It wasn't wet. There was not enough flow coming down And so I got stuck. Folks, when you're not in the flow, you get stuck. When you're not in the flow of what God is doing, you get stuck. And I think the key to life, and actually maybe the biggest idea that we could talk about this week is this. That our responsibility is to stay in the flow, to stay in the flow. 
You know, the Bible is filled with tons of promises that talks to us about if people follow Jesus and if they stay in the flow, that ordinary people like me and like you, ordinary people can be used by God to do extraordinary things. Now, the story that I want us to look at this morning is a story about Jesus one day going to a religious festival. It was called the uh, actual, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And basically, for the first part of the Bible, um, there wasn't really too many big buildings. They would just walk with God, kind of, uh, and they would set up a tabernacle. They'd set up a tent. And wherever that tent was set up, the presence of God was there. And then once they built a temple... Then every single year they would have a week-long religious festival called the Feast of the Tabernacles where they would come and they would commemorate the presence of God being there dwelling with his people. Now Jesus comes to this festival. But this is the thing. I want you to imagine this, and this is hard maybe for some of you. But imagine that Jesus is not the Son of God. He's just an ordinary guy. Because the people at that time, that's what they knew him of. They didn't know much about him at all. And Jesus walks into this festival, and he is an ordinary person, and he's talking to ordinary people. But what he says and the claim that he makes is extraordinary. In John chapter 7, this is what it says. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. Now, why do you think he wanted to say it in a loud voice? He wanted everybody to hear it. He wanted everybody to hear what was coming next. And then he said this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Which means anyone who's restless, anyone who's discontented, anyone who feels unsatisfied spiritually, he says, let them come to me. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow within him. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So he's basically saying anybody who's unsatisfied, anyone who's unhappy, anyone who is feeling discontent, he says, come to me. Anybody have a bad day today? You're like... I'm not going to raise my hand, but I was about ready to kill my wife on the way here, you know. Or I was going to kill my kids. This is what Jesus said on that day. He said, anyone had a bad day? If you had a bad week, if you had a bad month, maybe some of you are sitting there and you've had a bad life. And he says, regardless of what it is, let him come to me. And if you come to him, he says that personally, he will fill you with streams of flowing, living water will come from you. Now the King James Version, the Old English kind of version, says this, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Now, the belly is talked about a lot nowadays, isn't it? You ever see one of those info commercials? Your belly is not what your belly should look like. Your belly is what that computer-generated thing is looking like, you know? Abs of steel, a six-pack. And so that's what they're talking about here. 
But Jesus uses a very interesting word here when he says kolia. That's the word that he used, the Greek word kolia. It means out of the belly, out of the center of your being. The place that gets all tied up in knots when you're anxious and you're nervous and you're afraid. The place that butterflies fly and the place where you're dissatisfied or you're feeling lonely. The place that feels empty and hollow. Jesus said that anyone who's discontented, anyone who's unhappy, anyone who's dissatisfied, he says, come to me, trust in me, follow me. And if you do that down deep in your belly, at the center of who you are, there will be a river that is flowing with energy and hope and love and goodness. Now, what does this picture of flowing water, this river of living water, what's Jesus referring to? He's referring to the Holy Spirit. Exactly His Spirit that He would leave to be with us, even today, His Holy Spirit has been flowing and moving in this space, in this place. And it's your job and my job to stay in the flow. Jesus described the same concept in John 10.10. He used a different image. He used an image of a shepherd and sheep. That he's the great shepherd, the good shepherd, and they're sheep. And he says this, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they, my people, my sheep, anybody who comes to me, may have life and have it to the full. In other words, he's like, you're going to have abundance of life. It's going to be flowing out of your ears. Now, in this passage, who does the thief represent? Satan. Yeah, the evil one. In other words, Jesus said, we ought to expect some opposition in this life. We're going to have some challenges. We're going to have some trials. We're going to have some struggles because there is someone that is trying to rob us of this river of flowing water. But if you turn to any book in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, you will see that this flowing water, this abundant life that Jesus offers through His Spirit, and it's my challenge and your challenge, it's flowing already. All we have to do is stay in the flow. Stay in the Spirit. Okay, quick question for you. When people are hanging out with you, and they're around you, do they notice that you are flowing with rivers of water and that you're filled with joy and humility and love? Do they notice that you're consistently ridding yourself of things like gossip and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and lust? Do they notice that you're living an abundant life filled with love and peace and kindness? When they're around you, they're like, I notice this, I see this in you. How many says, yes, I'm living that kind of life? Same response as the first celebration. Well, this is what I think happens. I think a lot of people hear Jesus' message. They get filled with the hope and the vision of what that is. And they're like, man, this is it. I'm on it. And they say yes to it. And then they go through this spiritual kind of honeymoon. You know, honeymoons are always great. Then you got to go home, right? 
So you go on this spiritual honeymoon period for a while, and they're filled with love for God, and they're filled with uh, uh, desire to read the Bible and to pray and to serve people and to tell people about what God's doing in their life. Maybe they clean up their language a little bit, and they don't cuss like they used to, and all of a sudden there's some changes that are happening. Maybe there's an addiction that goes away. But over time, over time, this sense of progress, this sense of growth and change, it stalls out. And instead of life looking like this amazing picture that's painted in the New Testament, it looks very different. It looks like this. I yell at my children, who I love. I worry too much about money or work or what other people think. I get jealous of people. For stupid, petty reasons, because I compare myself to them, because I think they're more successful than me, or they're more attractive than me. I pass judgment on people so easily. My devotional life, my prayer life, it's like up and down and somewhere, it's nowhere around. And when that happens for someone, what takes place? They get discouraged, they feel guilty, they feel overwhelmed, they feel dissatisfied, and they feel tired, and they jump out of the flow. Now let me try to take a stab at this in a graphic way. It'll come up on the screen here. First of all, there is this promised life. It's in the New Testament. Jesus tells us it's an abundant life. It's a river flowing with water. It's amazing. There is this promised life that he gives to us. And it's filled with goodness and kindness and love. And it's captured the hearts of human beings for over 2,000 years. But then there is reality. And reality comes... And it deals with all the stuff in our life like divorce and hurt and pain and our kids not talking to us and legal troubles and addictions and whatever the reality is that comes, the death of a loved one. All those things hit there and that's reality. And in between this promised life and reality, there is a gap. And the question I want to ask this morning is what do people do when they're in the gap. What do people do when they want to be a sincere follower of Christ and they're involved in the church and they're trying to live that promised life, but the gap between the promised life and the reality is just far too great? Well, this is the thing that I think people do first, and it is they try harder. They just try harder. They decide that what I need to do is I just need to become more spiritual. If I'm just more spiritual and I'm more heroic spiritually, then things will be okay. So they try to fill the gap by getting up earlier in the morning, praying longer, reading another book. They serve more. They're nicer to people. They just work harder. This happened to me about 15 years ago. There was a buddy of mine who was really spiritual. God was working in his life, and I came up to him, and I was like, well, what What do you do? And he's like, well, I get up at 5 a.m. every morning, and I get on my knees, and I pray, and I read the Bible. 
that I'm doing. So for a month, I'm down there, you know, I'm on my knees and I'm praying. And you know what happened? I almost died having to get up that early. Because five o'clock in the morning, I didn't feel any flow except for the slobber that was dripping down my face. There was no flow. And yet I thought, well, it's hard and it's exhausting and I feel horrible, so it must be God doing it. And then it must be spiritual, it must be good. And folks, that happens to people all the time. They start feeling guilty because of whatever the spiritual practices they are or aren't doing. And pretty soon, it just gets harder. And they try harder. And they go for it more. But they get more tired. And your secret is, you're getting tired. And it's not just physically tired, but in your spirit, you are exhausted. And you're afraid that the gap is never going to be bridged. It was just to people like that that Jesus said this one day. Let's read this out loud together. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now what Jesus is talking about here is not about people who are stressed. He's not talking about people who are overwhelmed with life. He's talking about people who are exhausted spiritually. And the truth is today that for some of you, coming to Jesus is exhausting. And so what do you do? You try harder. Other people, they get out of the flow and they get stuck in the gap. And they do that by pretending. They just pretend it's not there. The gap doesn't exist. They know they're supposed to be different people. They know what the promised life looks like. And so this is their motto. They fake it until they make it. Isn't that like the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life? I'm going to fake that my marriage is on the brink. Hallelujah. God is there. And then they come to church. And they got their church face. Life is great. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My kids just got drunk last night and they're in jail. (laughs) And they put this Jesus smile on and then it's actually sad. And sometimes I'm discouraged because I see it. It's so easy to see. And they'll come and they'll be like, oh, oh, pastor, I just had a miracle. Just had a miracle last night. They have like a miracle every minute. There is miracles flying everywhere. You know what I mean? They're just there. Every prayer is answered. I just prayed last night and everything was taken care of. The Lord and I were like that. No, we're like that. We're, woo, we are so close. I mean, we are connected. And then, you know, at the end of every single sentence, you know, they say something and they're like, praise the Lord. My dog died. Praise the Lord. You know what I mean? It's like every single thing in their life. Just seems like it's going amazing. And this is what I found with people who are like this. They're really good at impression management. And the sad thing is, is that many churches are trying to preach to people in America saying, fake it till you make it. 
just pretend like you have it together. But folks, pretending and faking and acting like you have it all together is not the type of community that Jesus died for. Jesus died for a community that would be drawn together by one thing. His spirit and brokenness. In fact, I think it is a clear example of why Jesus was crucified on the cross so that everything was broken that the world had known and everything in his body was broken so that this would happen, that there would be broken people who would come to a place where his spirit was present and when broken people came together, there would be healing that would be flowing like a river. And the reality is, for my life, folks, that's the kind of community I want the jar to become. I've been in it too long to care about what numbers are or anything else. I want people who are broken and hurting to come into a place and to feel the presence of God, and then the brokenness gets healed. Because this is the truth about every single person who is sitting in a seat right now. You're broken. You are. Now, some of you are really good hiders. You know how to hide it. But the reality is, we're all broken. And Jesus said, I came to bring that healing. Because this is what I know that's true about people outside the church. People outside the church who are broken, they can see a fake a mile away. They see it so easily. And it's awkward, and it's odd, and it's weird, and it's strange. Now, other people do something else when they get out of the flow and they get stuck in the gap. They repeatedly rededicate themselves to Jesus. They repeatedly rededicate their lives to Christ. First time I ever saw this, I was at a, uh, a revival. It's kind of a, an event where people come uh, to try to allow God's Spirit to come and move in the lives of people who are disconnected from God. And I was at this uh, event, and there's this guy on the very first night, they had these things called altar calls. They would have an altar, and people could come up, and if they wanted to accept Christ for the first time in their life, they would do that. So the very first night, the guy was very clear. I was already Christian. I knew, hey, that's, you know, I got other stuff in my life, but that isn't it. And this guy comes up, and he accepts Christ. I'm like, man, that's awesome. That's great. Then Monday night comes. He comes up again. Then Tuesday night, comes up again. Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Like every single night he's coming, I'm thinking, God, he leaks. You know what I mean? Like he leaks. It happens in church camp. Some of you don't have this tradition, but I was raised a PK, a preacher's kid. And what that meant is that you went to this camp once a week for... One, uh, one time in a year, and while you were there, uh, they would do all kinds of fun stuff, but ultimately it was to try to get you closer to God. And at the end of some of these weeks, they would bring in a real emotional story to try to get kids to come to Christ. And typically, this was one that I heard a few times. You know, last year, there was a group teenagers just like you and they left from this camp and they started heading home and they got killed in a car crash 
And then I thought, wow, man, that's, that's emotional. You know, moved kids. Then the next year, Friday night campfire, last one, emotional. Last year, there was a group of kids who died in a car crash on the way going home. Are you right with Jesus? And I mean, by the, you know, by the time I got to my senior year, I was the only kid left in the camp because everyone else had died on the way in a car crash, you know, to where they were going. And you see what happens in the midst of that? They're just like this emotional roller coaster that they're trying to get people to get on to rededicate and rededicate and rededicate. And people do that. And you know why they do that? Because there is a gap between the promised life and between reality. And if I do that, that will bridge the gap. And then another thing. I've seen this dozens of times. They switch spiritual venues. They switch spiritual venues. What happens is a person who is a, comes from a non-charismatic tradition, maybe, they look around and they're like, you know what, there's no emotion in this place. I need to go to a place where there's more emotion. And so they decide that they're going to go to a church where there's more emotion. And they have a different approach on prayer or tongues or worship or whatever that is. And if you just went to that kind of church, I think that would bridge the gap. Then you have people on the other side who are raised in a charismatic church. And they see all this emotion and they're like, this is just an experiential thing. There's no meat to it. What I need to do is I need to go to a church that is heady and it's all about knowledge and the Bible. And if I do that, then that will bridge the gap. Folks, this is the reality. If you've never got this before, I really want you to get this today. This is the reality. Every single church in the entire world is on the same team. There's only one team. And this is the truth, too. There's only one coach. There's only one coach for all the teams. But this is what happens sometimes. I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. People get away from the team metaphor and they go to the musical chair metaphor. Have you ever seen kids do musical chairs before? They're around this little circle and all of a sudden they take one chair out and kids will fly over the top of the chairs to get to that last chair. And they just keep doing this over and over and over again. And unfortunately, some people think that bridging the gap is if I just have the right chair, if I do that. And so they use these different strategies over and over again. And when they don't work, when they don't happen, finally, what takes place is they just give up. They just give up. Sometimes the gap between the promised life and reality becomes so painful, so hurtful, that they, they just give up. Maybe they keep going to church. Maybe they still follow some of the Christian practices. They keep serving. But inwardly, like at the deepest part, in their belly, in what Jesus said was at the center of their being, they just feel hopeless. And they hope that they will go to heaven before they die. But they decided that this gap between the promised life and reality is unattainable. And they secretly just give up. And maybe the truth is that for some of you in this place today, 
you're at that place. But what if there's another way? What if what Jesus said is really true? What if he really meant that there could be rivers of living water flowing out of the belly, out of the core of your being? What if it's possible for you to become increasingly authentic, no faking, alive with love and joy and peace and courage? What if that kind of life, folks, what if it was possible? What if it wasn't about trying harder or pretending or faking or trying to have to rev up the engines anymore? What if? Let me share with you a verse of Scripture that speaks to the reality of who it is that can bridge the gap between reality and the promised life. Paul says this, the guy who followed Jesus, gave his life for him, considered the maybe the greatest follower of him, wrote half the New Testament. He says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. We are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. It doesn't matter the circumstances, He's transforming which comes from the, who's it come from? The Lord. Who is the, who is the Spirit? And here's what I think happens a lot of times. People are presented with the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his love. And they get this concept that there's God, and then there's me, but there's this sin that separates the two of us, and a gap takes place. Now, we talk about this all the time here at the JAR. Can effort bridge the gap? Good. Let's all say that in case case you weren't sure what the right answer was. It's no, okay? Uh, So, can effort bridge the gap? No, it can't. We talk about this all the time. Only because of what Jesus did on the cross can we get from one side to the other. But then here, I think, what happened is that people make a decision. We live it for a while, but before long, we're tempted to think that I can bridge the gap myself. But effort by itself, unaided human effort, cannot bridge that gap. This gap can only be bridged by grace. And the experience of grace is like this. When you first come to Christ, if you're a non-Christian and you first come, you experience His mercy and His forgiveness in your life. But after you become a Christian and you start following Him, the way that you receive His grace is when power is coming out of you into your life, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of whatever's going on. Dallas Willard, in his book, Renovation of the Heart, great read. He said this, There's this illusion that saints don't need much grace because they don't sin much. But Dallas says that's just the other way around. What's it say? Great saints burn more grace than anybody else. Because that's the way they're wired. That's what they're living on. That's why they're running. That's what their fuel is. That's the stuff. That's the good stuff. Now the picture 
that is used in Scripture throughout the entire Bible of God's Spirit is this concept of a river that we talked about earlier. He talks about this flow of streams of living water. Now, the words river or stream are used 150 times, over 150 times in the Bible. And often, it's always related to this spiritual experience of one's life, and for good reason. You see, Israel was a desert. There was no such thing as rivers as we know it today, like the Mississippi River or the the White River. They didn't have rivers because they're in a desert. What they had was called wadis, W-A-D-I, a wadi. And what a wadi was was simply a gulch that would happen within the sand, and when the water from rain would come, it would go down and it would fill the wadi. And Israel understood, because they lived in a desert, that a river was life, a river was grace, a river was a gift, a dry gulch, a wadi, was death. Now this is what I find so interesting about the Bible. Just hang with me. In the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, we do not know very much about the Garden of Eden. But we do know one thing. There was a river that ran through it. Genesis 2.10 says this, A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. And now you understand why that image is so important. Because if you live in a desert and the only thing that you have is when the rain comes down and the rain comes from God, then that is life. That keeps us alive. That takes the very essence and spiritually, in a real way, that's what they were looking for. But in Israel, from that point through, it's just dryness. And they walk away from God and they decide, no, I don't want to stay in the flow. I want to do my own thing. But the river was life. The river is grace. It's an image that's central to the spiritual life. Now, this is what's so cool. So the very first kind of beginning of the Bible, there's a river. And in the very last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 22, this is what it says. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Now you understand why it was so important. As clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The actual source of life, from Jesus himself. Down the middle of that great street of the city. So there's a river at the beginning in Genesis. And although the people are in this desert, a land without rivers, he promises them that at the end of it all, there's going to be a river again. And then the next verse, it takes my breath away. It says, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. Do you think there are any nations in our world today that could receive some healing? From the opening of Genesis to the closing chapter of Revelation, you know what God is doing? He's creating. 
And when things don't go right, he redeems. He makes it right again. And he says that there's going to come a day at the very end where I will recreate everything once again. And everything will be intended to be filled with life like a river running through it. And it will be full of abundant life. So what if, what if the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is like a river flowing all the time to the promised life? All the time. And what if it is your job to simply say, I'm going to take a plunge from reality into the Holy Spirit, maybe not fully understanding everything, but I'm not going to try harder. I'm not going to run faster. I'm not going to get up earlier. I'm not going to get revved up by a whole bunch of motions. What if God really is at work in the river every moment of every day of your life? Folks, there's no place, there's no place, how dark you may think your reality is, there is no place that God is not choosing to send a river of healing and of life. And so the question becomes, how do I stay in the flow? How do I remain in the flow of living water? How do I learn to flow with the Spirit? Well, one last water analogy. It's by uh, Rick Warren, who uh, is the pastor of Saddleback Church. He wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. And he writes about this when he turned 44. And I turned 44 a month ago. So I read this, and I've decided I'm going to take his challenge. He went surfing for the first time in his life at the age of 44. And so Jen and I right now are trying to figure out, where, where can we do this? Well, where can I do this? So... Um, So we're going to do this. But this is what Rick writes. He says, last year I surfed for the first time in my life. I was 44 years old. First time. I took a class with my son. They do surfing classes and they teach you all the basics. Like how to choose the right equipment. Good surfers are used, or good surfers use a small light board. They gave me a size of a barge just to try to keep me up. They teach you how to jump to your feet on the board. They teach you how to recognize a rideable wave. Most importantly, they teach you how to do both of these things without killing yourself. But one thing they never covered in the class. They never taught me how to make a wave. Because whose job is it to make a wave? You can answer this, but whose job? It's God's. It's God's job to make the wave. It's my job to write it, not to make it, because I don't have that kind of power. Rick continues, if, you're ever, if you've ever watched somebody surf who's really good, it looks really easy. It's not. It takes discernment, it takes practice, it takes balance. You're not passive when you're surfing, not by a long shot. But you don't have to make the wave. When you botch it, when you fall, when you misread it, when you wipe out, which you do especially when you're first learning. If you botch it, the good news is, if you miss one wave, there's another wave that's coming. If you wipe out, if you fall down, there's another one coming right after it and right after it and right after it. The waves just keep coming. God keeps sending them. He's like a wave machine. And that's the essence of what grace is. And when you mess up one, there's another one coming right behind it, and another one after that, and you just get back 
on the board because the wave is coming. Don't you love the image of grace being a wave that just is constantly coming? So you don't have to beat yourself up if you mess up on one. You can get right back on the next wave. And that's grace. You mess up on one wave and another one comes and another one comes and another one comes. So here's the deal. For the rest of the summer, we're going to learn about this. And we're going to learn how to do spiritual surfing. And as we learn how to do this, we're going to learn how to not only get in the flow, but to stay in the flow. We're going to learn, what are the things in my life that keep me closed off? From the Spirit of God. And what are the things in life that open myself up and I'm willing to say, God, even though there's some pain and there's some some hurt and I'm not hearing from you right now and I feel so disconnected, I'm going to open myself up to jump into the flow one more time. And what could we expect if all of us were in the flow? What could you expect in your job? What could you expect in your neighborhood? What could you expect in your family, with your friends? What could you expect even when circumstances change and there's pain and there's hurt and there's loss? What could you expect? You know, as you leave today, you could choose to say, I'm going to begin just right now to be in the flow of God. And folks, I'll tell you, it happens. During the worship time, I was sitting there, we're we're singing songs, and all of a sudden in my spirit, a person comes to my mind, and all of a sudden I start getting tense and anxious and all this, and I just taught on the flow, folks, like 30 minutes before that. And I had to remind myself, man, God, I'm so far. I just want to jump right back in. And you know what? Another wave comes. And some of you could do that today. You could leave from this place and you'd say, God, if there's somebody that you want me to smile at, if there's somebody that you want me to greet, if there's somebody that you want me to give an encouraging word, if there's somebody that you want me to give a hug, God, I'm just open right now. I don't have it all together, but in this moment right now, as I walk from this place, you want me to pray for somebody? God, I'm in. And I was thinking about it today. Let's not leave from the gym Let's flow from the gym. And whatever God would choose to prompt us, let's stand for closing prayer. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. And if you'd like prayer for anything, they would uh, love to pray with you. So, again, if you'd like prayer for anything, they they would pray with you. And um, live in the flow this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm not aloof enough to realize that there are some people here today that are like, oh man, I want that so bad. 
but the circumstances of my life. There's so much going on right now, God, I just don't, I just don't sense that. And so I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would flow in lives of people who are hurting today. We acknowledge that your Holy Spirit is present in this place. And we open ourselves totally up to you. And what you have for us and what you want to do in us. We open ourselves up to those rivers of living water. To thoughts that your spirit might prompt us to or actions you might act. We commit to that right now and we look forward, God, to what you're going to do throughout this summer as we stay in the flow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Worship night tonight at 7 if you want to come and experience more flow. Have a great week, everybody.